Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you today, and I'm um, glad everybody made it past the flash flood. Um, did anybody get woken up this morning at like 3 a.m. with the alarm going off? Okay, I, well, all right. well, I did. And so I'm glad you're here, <laughs> and it's good to see you. Um, we are uh, so excited to be here uh, today because uh, a lot has been going on, um, a lot of good has been going on. Um, first of all, everybody can wish a uh, her early happy birthday to sweet Katie Rowan. Where's Katie Rowan? Yay, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right, Katie. <laughs> happy, happy birthday, okay? And then um, please make it a point to get in touch with um, several people. You can talk to the Darringtons who are behind the curtain with their new baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And um, Jack Jack is here. So Joseph and Rachel's baby is now here too. So please make sure to get in touch with them, wish them a like on congratulations. And then everybody knows and loves Christina Rice, who's been taking care of all of our children. She is welcoming her first daughter into the household with Raylin, sweet Raylin. So make sure to congratulate her as well um, in the foster care system. So isn't that exciting and good? Oh, yeah, I mean, huge, huge. So um, <clears throat> what we want to do is uh, continue to celebrate all that God's doing um, by <coughs> being with one another, um, but also uh, just going into uh, a season where we're trying to figure out who it is that we're to be as the church of Jesus Christ. Now, whenever we um, just came out of this series that we did last, uh, this past several weeks, we came out of a spiritual gifts training, and did everybody enjoy Reggie being here? Okay, I sure did. That was refreshing for my soul. So um, that's my buddy. And so um, anyway, I hope you were blessed by that. And again, we will have further trainings if you weren't able to be with us that weekend. Um, but we wanted to let you know that what we are doing this all in the effort of is trying to position ourselves in our hearts and our minds uh, to be the people that God's called us to be. So um, over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to go through um, a particular epistle. And an epistle is basically just a letter uh, that was written to the church of Jesus Christ whenever the church was being formed and shaped um, as a newbie in the pagan world. And what you see is that uh, though uh, you have different types of letters that were written to the church um, by the apostles during their time of their earthly ministry, what we see is that um, they often had different functions. Uh, you have the pastoral epistles or letters uh, that were like Peter or James, which were general letters, you know, to the churches saying that, hey, listen, everybody everywhere, you're going to deal with these things. And so we want to just, in the name of Jesus, give you instruction about how to live as a Christian wherever you are, at whatever time, at, in whatever season you might find yourself. But then when you see the Apostle Paul writing, a lot of times we know that Paul was a church planter. And so whenever he was a church planter, he was going into various uh, communities, situations, and he wrote letters to the churches that were started that gave specific instruction to them based on the things that they were dealing with. And so what, you, you know, a lot of times people are coming into churches and they have preferences. Some people like, um, uh, I guess, exegetical preaching where you're going line upon line, precept upon precept, you know, going through the scripture, which is valuable and good because we need to be washed by the whole counsel of God. Can everybody say amen to that? Okay, not just have our own favorite scripture or particular passages that we want to cling to, um, but we need to let the whole counsel of God speak to us. Um, but then where do we get the idea of 
of even topical preaching from. We get it from the, um, from the precedent that Paul set whenever he was writing to specific issues that the church itself was dealing with. It wasn't just that he was writing a general letter. He was saying, hey, guys, these are churches that have started. This is feedback that I'm getting in the development and growth of the church. And these are things that I'm having to address by the wisdom and word of God to see that it continues to grow as God intends it to grow. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of those directive epistles, which is the book of Philippians today. Um, The book of Philippians is what we're going to go through through the next several weeks, but we're going to wrap our our minds around the idea of growth, okay? And so the series is actually going to be called Grow. How do we continue to grow? If God himself has started a work in us, how does he bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's not just enough that we were born into the kingdom. How does he complete the work that he started in us if he got something started? And I think that we can all, uh, basically, we can all relate to this. Because if you have a child, it's not enough that they're born. You want them to grow, right? And I'm not just talking about physically. You want them to mature. You want them to be able to handle life and the circumstances of life and become productive citizens, you know what I mean? Through the development of their minds, their hearts, their attitudes, uh, their skills, their gifts, their callings, right? And so in the same way, God himself has that same desire for his church, not only his universal church, but his local churches, right? His local churches. He said, I've started a work in you, but I want you now to continue to grow until the day of Christ Jesus. Whether I come back for you individually or collectively, I want you to grow. Okay, so let's begin today in the Word of God, and we'll pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your counsel that is ever-present with us through your everlasting Word. And God, we're praying that you would illuminate it today by the Holy Spirit, that you would give us understanding, wisdom, and insight, that we might grow into all that you've called us to be as your people pleasing you to this city as your hands and feet and to the nations continuing to advance your kingdom in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so today, this is um, actually where we're just going to start. We're going to focus around the person of Jesus, and it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, this is obviously a scripture that people utilize at Christmas time, but it is for all time. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor mighty God. Now that's an apologetic in and of itself, is it not? To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and in this monotheistic Jewish community, the prophet is saying they shall call him mighty God, meaning that Jesus Christ was coming as the son of God, but he was also God in the flesh, okay? Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. So what we see from the very outset is that God and his kingdom are coming. And the good news is is that though the church is his body, he will forever remain the head. 
Jesus will forever remain in charge. Jesus will forever be the one on whom the government of God rests. And we can trust him as we're following him as a church to see, see the things that he wants to see and do the things that he himself was doing if we follow in his stead. But what we see is that his desire is, is that not this that he would plant something and then it would inev inevitably stall out but that he would plant something and that it would continue to grow. And the increase, his desire is that the increase of his government would know no end. The government would be on his shoulders, but it would happen through his body, the church. Paul starts to talk about this in Philippians. So today, if you're taking notes, what we're going to talk about in breaking up this part of Philippians, we're just going through chapter one. It's we're going to grow in partnership. Number two, we're going to grow in perspective. And then number three, we're going to grow in perseverance. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. We need to grow in partnership. Number two, we need to grow in perspective. And then number three, we need to grow in perseverance. Paul, writing to the Philippian church, he starts this way. He said, Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. So Timothy was a traveling companion of Paul's who also ministered alongside of him in the increase of this government, going to the pagan world, preaching the gospel where Jesus was previously unknown. How did they fulfill this? They went to places and to people who previously did not know about Jesus and actually said, you need to know him. You need to repent and believe the good news. A lot of times people think that the church is just to be an insular or an insulated community, that just if you happen to believe or you happen to grow up in a, um, in a household or a family that believe these things, then you continued on in that faith. But we see that Jesus says something different, that the increase of his government shall know no end. And what that means is his rulership in people's hearts and minds. And so to increase his government in people's hearts and minds, the good news of the gospel needs to be preached to those who previously did not know it, those who previously were unaffected by it. He says that Paul and Timothy were set apart as servants of Christ Jesus unto this task. And they went to a city named Philippi, and I'll give some more context to the city later in um, another subsequent message. But Philippi was one of these cities that they went to where they were preaching as servants of God the good news so that his government could increase in that place. Just like we came, many of you for work, many of you for school, some of you have grown up here, but we were planted in this city so that his increase of government could go forth through the preaching of the good news as servants in this time, in this hour, in this place. Just as Paul and Timothy were servants preaching the good news, we are servants preaching the good news too. And he says, to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer 
that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. So we see that, first of all, the first thing that Paul's talking about here in addressing the church is he's concerned about the completion of what God started in them, but he says that the first thing that he has in his mind, in his heart, for God to complete a work that he started in his people is that he wants his people to partner with him, to partner with him in that thing that God is doing. And to understand the context of this, a lot of times we often have two different, uh, I guess, ideas of stratas of people. We have people who we think are the saints, you know what I mean, or the people that we think are the holy people or the set-apart people or the vocational people, and then everybody else, right? It's almost like we're coming to some sort of religious show, and we get to participate in the show, but it's not really our responsibility to be a part of the show. Whenever Paul, though, was speaking to the church, and this is who he was writing to, he wasn't writing to just a group of leaders. He was writing to the church as a whole in that area and in that city and at that time. And to the church that he was writing to, he said, the work that God started in you, he wants to bring to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. But part of the way that you're going to bring it to, I'm going to bring it to completion in God's mind is through you partnering in the gospel, partnering in the gospel. That just as much as it was Paul's stewardship to go and Timothy's stewardship to go into lands that did not know Jesus or did not yet um, have a submission to him, so it was the charge of the church to partner in the gospel to make him known. That means that it's the ambition not only of the Lord Jesus Christ to see the increase of his government, no, no end, but it should be the charge and the ambition of all his servants. It should be the charge and the ambition of his servants with the zeal of the Lord. Because remember, at the end of that verse in uh, Isaiah, he said that in the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. But he says that how will it be accomplished? It will be through the zeal or the fire or the passion of the Lord God Almighty. It's the zeal of the Lord God Almighty that will accomplish it. And many times in the church world, we go through ebbs and flows. We know what's right to do, but we have our seasons of passion. And then we have what we like to rely on as calling our wilderness season or our dry seasons, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's sort of like you have the seasons where it's like, I'm all about God. I'm all about Jesus. I'm all about his purposes. And then other seasons where it's like, well, I'm here. Yeah, it's, you know, I still showed up. I'm here. But when Paul was writing to the Roman church, he actually said this. He gave it as a command of the Lord. He says to keep your spiritual fervor, being zealous for the Lord always, always. That just as God has zeal and fire and passion within him to drive his kingdom forward, he says of his people, my command to you is the same. Be like God. Be zealous for his name. Be zealous for his ways. Be zealous for his kingdom in such a way that he can be fiery in you and begin to consume that which you touch around you. That's what fire does. 
You feed it with oxygen, and what does it do? It grows. But often we think about zeal as a feeling only. But zeal for the Lord, as he's described it, is actually a command. He said, keep your spiritual fervor, meaning that you cultivate it, you guard it, you protect it. And even when we were talking about gifts the past several weeks, this is even what he says about gifts. Fan into flame the gifts of God that are in you through the laying on of hands, right? So all of these things speak to the fact that God starts something in us and then we have a partnership with God to cultivate that which he implanted in us. So there's a partnership with God and the Holy Spirit developing what he started in us to bring it to completion. And there's also a partnership with one another. There's a partnership with one another, right? This isn't a solitary solo sport. God's always talking in the context of his people. He says, you connect with me, then Paul's being a vehicle or a vessel or an oracle of his ways and his efforts. And then he all of a sudden says, hey, listen, just as you're partnering with God, now partner with me and let's do this together. That none of us have the ability to accomplish the will of God on our own fully, the increase of his government, which will know no end. That's why it is not enough that people belong to the universal church of Jesus Christ. It is important that there is local church expression. Why? Because in local church expression, you are not only known of God, but you're known by the people who surround you. You also know the people that surround you. And what happens is that you're in partnership with one another unto Christ's end. And you're linking arms and hearts and lives saying, this is our ambition, that the increase of his government and peace of that, there shall be no end. How does he complete the work that he started in us? By us having a holy zeal unto that partnership. Asking the question, how can we serve God together? How can we make him known together? That should be a perpetual question in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. We should be getting creative. And you understand that it wasn't just Paul and Timothy in a room by themselves praying and talking. It was a church together in partnership in the gospel saying, how can we do this together? And for him to complete the work, they had to have a commitment to these things. But in doing so, in partnering together, you see certain words, key words, key adjectives that begin, or nouns that begin to come up. He said that your love, how are we going to work together? <laughs> he says that your love should abound more and more. More and more, which is, again, the whole theme of growth, right? Is it not easy just to get cold in our love for one another? The answer is yes. How many people, like, come on now, are honest and, like myself, almost treat people like new toys sometimes? You, you know what I mean? It's like when you first get to know them, it's like, ooh, shiny. <laughs> you know? Shiny and new. Anybody see uh, Moana? Okay, is that, that crab? 
It's like the weirdest part of the movie to me. So shiny. All right. Anyway, but the <laughs> but the point is, it's like you see uh, you see somebody and you're excited about them because it's sort of like they look like the best thing since sliced bread that's ever come across across your path. Why? Because you know nothing about them, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, I mean, you get to know them and it's sort of like, oh, okay, well this is cool. You know, you have a few idiosyncrasies. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to you. And then after a while, the love that you had for them, that's patient and kind, you begin to express towards them from a distance. And I love you, but when we're about this far apart. And God's saying to the opposite extent that if you're going to be in partnership with one another, you have to have a love that abounds more and more, which actually goes in the opposite direction. That when you actually get to know people and their idiosyncrasies, that it causes you to draw closer, not further apart. That you don't actually begin to discard people or, here's a big one, begin to relegate yourselves to factions where people you relate to are only the ones like you. Isn't this what the kingdom is about? He said, I'm going to call people from every tribe, nation, people, and language to myself. And what I brought you together on is going to be the very thing that keeps you. Jesus. Jesus and his blood. Look around you. This is a beautiful thing. There are people from different ethnicities, people from different nationalities, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people from different athletic orientations, people from... Different, yeah, that, I know that's random, but like different <laughs> musical, you know, musical orientations. But what are we here for? We're here for our common bond in Christ. And what brought us together needs to be the thing that keeps us together, but not in a stalemate, but in a manner that's growing. That what you started with needs to grow more and more that you related to one another in this way because of Jesus breaking down dividing walls at the beginning. You need to keep breaking them down throughout your lifetime. Breaking down walls of division. Breaking down walls of suspicion. Breaking down walls of disorientation between people who otherwise wouldn't have related if not for Christ. This is what he's saying. Be in partnership with me and let your love grow more and more. That's how the increase of my government is going to take place. That when a new person comes in, there should never be anybody who feels alone. Why? Because we're a people who practice hospitality. That's a command, right? He says, practice hospitality. Thank you, Angelica Martina. Greeting team, all of you. Thank you. Okay, practice hospitality, which means that you are opening up your life. And welcoming people in. Why? So that Christ might increase in their hearts, minds, and lives. Amen? He says, your love should abound more and more. But how? With knowledge, and check this out, and discernment. And discernment. Depth of insight. What that means is though that he gives a command as plain as can be, you need discernment to actually walk it out over the course of time. You need discernment. What does it mean to be discerning? That I could actually sense and divide and, yeah, feel through things and see this, is, this feels right, this feels wrong. Right? Discernment. S- smells fishy, this smells 
like I want to sit down and feast, right? Well, I like fish too, but anyway, the point is discernment, depth of insight. You need that because if you don't have it, the very partnership that you are intended to have can be divided. You hear me? And this is what Paul continues to talk about and what we need in a growth in perspective. Let's continue in Philippians. Philippians 1 verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, so Paul's in the middle of a persecuted state, and though he says this is where we're, you know, the gospel's mightily advancing, there's also pushback, right? That's not bad news. That's, that's just part of it. If there's persecution, it's only what we were destined for. He actually says anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men, and here's, a, here's an important word, imposters, Go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What do you need to distinguish between that? Discernment. And Paul, in the midst of doing the right thing, is in the midst of prison now. He's being persecuted for the advance of the gospel, and he's got to give the church some perspective. He's got to give them some perspective saying, hey, guys, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged in the midst of this. What you see happening to me is not to discourage you. It's part of what we were destined for. If they persecuted Christ, they're going to persecute you, right? And so I'm in prison writing you this letter, and I'm trying to give you some perspective so you won't be discouraged. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Good news, right? My imprisonment has helped to expand the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And everybody can say amen to that. Now, if we end up in prison, <laughs> it's not for being a cheat or a swindler or anything like that. Everybody pay your taxes. It's like, listen, it's for Christ. It's for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Meaning they're like, man, Paul's in prison, he's still preaching? Paul's going through these trials and he's still going? I can too. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And you're like, what? but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. What in the world? Has anybody ever, like, has this given anybody pause before? Because some people, I like to, I was thinking to myself, like, preaching Christ and being, like, having the boldness of the Holy Spirit to preach Christ as Sometimes difficult enough, right? But then to do it with selfish ambition? What? What do you really gain? Not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? 
Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that will... <clears throat> But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He started talking about discernment, and then we need to go and grow in perspective. Growing in perspective means to grow in the very lens through which you interpret the world around you and that you interpret the circumstances of your life. So often our immediate response is to think that in the time of trial or suffering, God has somehow forgotten us, God has somehow displeased with us, or God is somehow not as involved in our lives as he once was. But getting a godly, gospel-centered perspective and growing that in that is understanding that, wait a minute, it could be the very thing that he's in the midst of, in the midst of my suffering. Has ever, anybody ever been there before? Needing to know that Jesus is with you in the midst of your suffering, not despite it? And this is why love needs to abound more and more. Because you know what? We're here for one another, not just during the good times, but also during the bad. Isn't that what love does? Love abounding more and more says, I'm not just a brother or sister of convenience. I'm a brother or sister who's committed in the midst of your imprisonment, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, soulish, whatever it is, until Jesus Christ comes and sets you free my prayers are going to be growing more and more for you. My relating is going to be growing more and more for you. I'm rolling up my sleeves and saying, God has got, like we were singing about, right? Easy to sing about, a lot harder to live. God's got victory for you. And he's got victory for me as we continue to live in him. But growing, not just in partnership, but growing in perspective helps us understand that we don't ever need to use Christ unto our own ends. What does that mean? I'm talking to people like myself who might have come into this Jesus thing, might be a new thing. Hear me now. When I came into the church, I was not a Christian. When I came into the church, I did not grow up in the faith. Uh, it was all new to me. And I'll be honest with you, when I came into the church, what I was more interested in were the people who I was hanging out with than the one that they were worshiping. I came, and the gospel was, in a sense, a, sense, a sort of selfish ambition for me. I was at a new university, new school, right? I'd left my home state. I was trying to figure out who I was going to be around and connected to. And then all of a sudden, I had these Christians who wanted to preach to me. 
So I was like, okay, cool, cool. I'll be around these Christians. They give me a lot of free food, okay? As <laughs> a college student, that was important, okay? But eventually, something had to turn in my heart and mind that I wasn't around Christ, his people, or even participating in the things that they were doing just to build my own little comfort zone or my own comfort blanket. you understand me? I had to know that this growth in not just, not just my partnership, but my perspective were that, you know what? If Paul's in prison, thinking about the church of Philippi, if Paul's in prison, that means that I could eventually be too. That if other people are suffering and having to cling to this God that they're proclaiming in the midst of all this revelry that's going on, I may have to too. And if I don't have him, Christ, that community that's so good won't hold me in the end. You see, that selfish ambition would eventually deteriorate because if I'm only there for them when they're not providing for me that which I need in my soul at that moment or think I need and I'm not, Christ himself isn't my anchor, then when I have B for some sort of lie and hear, hear me now, in the spiritual realm, this isn't a battle against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and authorities and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, which means that just as God speaks, so do demons. And when they are speaking to me and lying to me and accusing my brothers and sisters around me, and then all of a sudden I'm eating that up because I haven't been around them enough to know differently. And then all of a sudden, that's filling my heart more than the truth of God's word or the truth that can come out of their mouths. If I'm not clinging to Christ, who was my foundation, should be my foundation in the first place, when that community gets shaken, I'm out. And if I'm not growing in a discernment to know that my anchor needs to be Jesus and Jesus alone... And that through my anchor in Jesus and the saving work that he's doing in my life, I have a commitment to the rest of his body too. Then the work that he wanted to, um, that he started in me won't be completed because my foundation was wrong. And it will all be because I'm using the gospel for selfish ambition. What were they talking about in that context? They were preaching Christ out of rivalry, Right? So meaning what, what? Paul had a little following going on after him, right? He'd start churches and then he would lead the churches. Now then he's in prison and then the people begin to say, okay, Paul's in prison now. I'm gonna, I got him. Now I want a following after me. That's, that's what he was talking about there. He says, but you've got to be discerning to know that why you're doing anything is for him and his glory not your own. And this is, this, is, this is very important. These are the subtleties of the faith that are actually part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit or the fruit of the flesh. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. But one of the fruits of the flesh are what? Galatians, anyone? 
jealousy, faction, division, rivalry, as well as sexual immorality, drunkenness, orgies, and then he says, and the like. And the like. We need to grow in perspective and even be those who judge the motives of our own hearts. Amen? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And what's preventing me from growing in love more and more towards God and those around me? It might be, because, it might be what's driving me that's preventing me. What is my foundation? Is it him? Is it love for him? Is it love for his people? Or is it something else? Finally, grow in perseverance. Philippians 20, um, 1, 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, <laughs> you know, in the midst of this, God working out, in me this salvation with fear and trembling. It gets tough sometimes. Does anybody agree with that? Meaning if you're really doing it. I'm not talking about like watching a video. I'm talking about like really trying to walk it out. He says, you must, men and you must endure many hardships to enter the kingdom. Isn't that what Paul said? And so to him, he said to me is to, to live as Christ. And to die is actually gain. To die is gain. We don't fear death. Why? Because Jesus has conquered death for us, meaning we have a victory in death, right? Being liberated from our bondage to decay and going to live on spiritually with him forever, ruling and reigning with him. That's the good news of the gospel. Repent of your sin, believe the good news, come to the cross, he says, and he'll make you new. And he'll give you a deposit, the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing what's to come. That's why Paul can say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means what? It means something. Hear me now, this is important. If I am to live in the flesh, that means something. If I am alive today, that means something. If you are a Christian with breath in your body today, that means something. He says, if I am to go on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Meaning that my life is a seed sown into this earth that the love of God might increase more and more. His good news might spread and the increase of his government shall know no end as long as I'm living. I'm a participant in that, right? We're in partnership with, to, unto that end, right? We're growing in not only partnership, but we're growing in perspective and we're able to respond to the circumstances and the realities of life through this lens. It's fruitful labor for me if I'm going on living. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. 
He said, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire, this is just honest now, he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. <laughs> we, m- most of us would call a hotline if we heard him say this. Right? Like, Paul, is everything okay? <laughs> you know? But he's like, no, 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 there's a reality. It's not me just trying to escape the world. I'm trying to go to what's better, what he promised me. The good news of the gospel. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life, the way you're living, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Meaning we're asking that every time we do anything, say anything, any relationship we're building, we're saying, are we doing it all in the manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? I'm asking that question again and again in my, in my husbandry, well, whatever, in my, my parenting, right? Am I doing it in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Can they see that I'm flawed but repentant? See, that's the good news. We can be fallen people but repentant people. And the moment that you see sin like arise in your life, you can repent in that moment and say it, has, it doesn't have to go any further. I can repent and believe the good news right now that he'll set me free. Right now that Jesus will liberate me from my bondage to decay. He said, only live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in, and here it is, here it is, growing perseverance, but this is tough. That you are standing firm in one spirit. Everybody say one spirit. One spirit. With one mind. Striving side by side. Okay, you can stop. Okay. <laughs> Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You're one man in him. One people. One people. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. How are we going to grow in perseverance? By committing to these things, standing firm. And to stand firm means something, right? Standing firm means that you're getting pushed. Anybody remember King of the Mountain in the recess? At recess, right? Getting on top of the tires and... Right? But you're trying to stand firm. You're getting pushed. You're getting pulled. You're getting all types of things distracting you, pulling on you, trying to throw you off. And he says, but you stand firm. Not on your own, but in one spirit. 
together in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. You must work to preserve that which God is building and persevere that the enemy might not deceptively unwind that which God has built. You do that by standing firm. Not on your own, but in one spirit, in one mind, standing side by side in partnership for his gospel ends. You first partner with God, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you, to work out his salvation with fear and trembling, and then you link arms with one another unto his end, growing in partnership, perspective, and perseverance in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, let's have the worship team come up.